Hello, fellow and future dancers, and thanks for listening to the Dance Floor Podcast. I'm very excited to have as my guest today, Chelsea Kopke. She's a beautiful dancer and an incredibly beautiful person all together. She has amazing insights into the world of dance and just being a well-rounded and balanced person in general. So she's got some incredible things to say in this episode. We talk about her background as a classically trained dancer, her partnership with her husband, her involvement in the LGBT community through dance, and her new adventure into the world of food. Hope you enjoy. So Chelsea, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you talking with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited about doing this with you. Before we talk about anything dance related, my first question that I want to ask you about is what the weather is like in California, because here in Michigan, it's been snowing since last night and it's like a really wet gray, depressing snow. So I feel like I just need you to tell me about the weather in California so I can be happy again. I almost feel bad telling you because it's so gorgeous here. It's like could not be more opposite. I can't believe we're in February and it's like short sleeve weather. It's absolutely beautiful. That like makes me happy to know that somewhere in the world there is just beautiful weather. What part of California are you in? So I live in Sacramento. So I live in the capital um, and I actually work in the Bay Area. I lived in the Bay Area for San Francisco for um, 10 years. And I moved back to Sacramento, which is where my husband and I are both from, and our parents are here. Um, and we bought a house last July. And oh, congratulations. So, yeah, thank you very much. It was definitely a moment for us. But we, uh, we still commute a few days a week to the base. So we drive about two hours there, two hours back. Oh, wow. Is that for your dance schedule or is that That just... is just for teaching. Yeah. I only teach two days a week um, as a dance teacher now, but I teach basically like 21 lessons in two days. Oh, wow. That's a full schedule. <laughs> yeah. But I like it that way, um, especially because we commute, it frees it up for us instead of going back and forth every day for like five lessons a day, Yeah, can really pack it in. And and I found it's just been better for me too, just to be able to stay focused. I have a lot more energy when I can just dedicate my teaching mind for one or two days instead of spread it out all week. That just fits my like temperament a little bit better. Oh, that totally makes sense. I can totally relate to that. It's not like compartmentalizing it, but in a way it kind of is like you're putting all of your focus and attention into that one activity. Absolutely. And I just feel like I can be a better teacher because I'm thinking of my day as a full work day. So, you know, the night before I'm mentally preparing for a long day, what I eat in the morning, the type of sleep I get, it just helps me focus. When we lived in the Bay Area, we were living in walking distance to the studio. You know, people canceled. I just go in for three lessons and I just found from, from my personality, I could lose focus a little bit easy or even like motivation. So this is definitely something that works better just for me personally. I know for some people that's just too long of a day, but you know, everybody finds what works best for them teaching wise. Yeah. I can actually relate to that. I had this weird thing in my schedule where three sets of students that were all kind of having surgeries at the same time, I was having more sporadic lessons and like bigger chunks of time in my day that were just not being used because when you have like an hour, hour and a half, two hour break, by the time you go grab a coffee and look on your phone for a little bit, you haven't really done anything productive. And yesterday was my first day where I went back to having like a full schedule. And I was oddly enough, even though like looking at my calendar, it might've felt a little daunting. I was way more excited than I would be if I was seeing all of these holes in my schedule. So that totally makes sense. Exactly. I think the thing about being a dance teacher, because it's so not just physically demanding, it's emotionally demanding. I think for some people, it works better to be able to separate you know, and section that out throughout the week. But for me to be able to kind of put my teacher hat on at the start of the day and then also be able to take it off at the end of the day, um, I really like that. And I've noticed that in the last couple of months since that schedule changed, just in general, the day feels fuller. I feel like my students are staying on track a little bit better. But just for myself, even though I'm exhausted at the end of 11 lesson day, (laughs) I feel invigorated about what I've done. So, you know, it's taken me a while to figure out what's best for me, but now that I have, I'm, I'm very happy with it. Yeah. I love that. So Lewis and I, my husband, I feel like we originally met you and Eric at a competition. Maybe I don't want to, I don't know. Maybe it was like three or four years ago. There was, I think like a brief moment in time where we were both competing at the same time, but you guys being on the West coast and us being in the Midwest, we wouldn't have seen you at a lot of competitions, but I specifically remember the first time I saw you guys dance in person and Lewis and I were big fans of you guys right away. Um, I mean, we were competing in the same style. So obviously we have a bias towards American smooth dancing. Sure. 
you know, in the last even just 10 years, I feel like American Smooth has evolved into this like whimsical unicorn of just the most unique <laughs> style of dance right now. It's incredible. Yeah, I do too. It's so theatrical. It's so exciting. You know, it's definitely the most attended event, like in the professional, I mean, I could get into, <laughs> I could start a war with that sentence, but I, <laughs> I always find that it seems to be the most well attended from an audience perspective. I totally agree. Yeah. And I remember Lewis specifically when watching Eric was dancing pro-am and all he kept talking about was Eric's footwork, Eric's footwork, Eric's footwork. <laughs> he was obsessed with his footwork and how like skilled of a dancer he was. And then when oh. we saw you guys dance together, we were immediately fans. So you guys have this really interesting dynamic together. You're beautiful. You're a beautiful, beautiful dancer. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about is you are trained as a classically trained dancer, like ballet. So what was that transition like for you? How long had you danced ballet and classic dance before you actually started learning ballroom? And what was that transition like? So I started dancing classical ballet actually as a four-year-old. Oh, wow. And I, yeah, I started at the same time as my older sister. Every time she would go to class, I would want to go to class. So I think the formative years of my dancing were pretty accelerated. I got moved into a higher level pretty quickly um, just because I was at the studio all the time. And like maybe your average four-year-old is taking like two classes a week and I was taking like three or four because I just wanted to be with my sister. So I think I got a good push in the beginning of my dancing. I trained as a classical ballet dancer in Sacramento with the professional school um, Sacramento Ballet as well as some other schools. And then I auditioned for the Joffrey Ballet School's summer program when I was, I think I was 16. That's pretty prestigious. Like even I've heard of that. Like the Joffrey Ballet is like a big deal. It was amazing. And coincidentally, it was the first time I'd ever taken a ballroom or like partner dancing class. They had an elective, which was Lindy Hop. Oh, fun. Yeah. And it was like at the end of, you know, like an eight hour training day where you would take, you know, like five ballet classes, you know, variation classes, partnering classes. And so there was this elective swing dance class and a lot of the kids didn't really want to take it. They were tired. They weren't really interested, but I wanted to take it because I'd never really, I'd never really been exposed to it. Right. And it was totally life-changing for me. Um, I didn't really know it at the time, but I was starting to get pretty burnt out from classical ballet. I'm tall for ballet. I'm five nine, so on point, I'm almost six feet. Um, and <laughs> That's I awesome. Just, yeah. And I just started to recognize that the direction I wanted to go in terms of just like creativity wasn't necessarily living within the ballet bubble that I was involved in. I mean, as I got older and I was more exposed to different worlds of contemporary ballet, I think I might've stayed a little longer if I had had exposure to that, but I didn't. And so I started to get quite, the word I always use is like strangled by the just kind of overwhelming feeling of this is going to be the same. And I'm not sure that there's something, you know, unique for me in here. Mm-hmm. And and I think lots of kids find their way to that in whether a sport or, you know, whatever art they're playing. Some of it is just like maturationally. I think you get done with doing something you've done for your whole childhood. Strangled is such an interesting word though, because (laughs) I, as soon as you said that, I just had this visual in my head of, you know, a lot of times we do, like you said earlier, we use this term of burned out, but burned out is so, it it doesn't mean that you're sick of the dancer that you never want to dance it again. But that word strangled is just so like you're inhibited, like you're, you, you feel like you're being forced into this path. So I think, wow, that's like really descriptive. For me, I've only ever done ballroom. I've had little tiny bits of exposure to other styles of dance. And when I have, I feel like it's really enriched my dancing. (laughs) But for you specifically as a classically trained ballet dancer, what do you think that that gives you when you're going into anything else? Like with ballroom, do you feel like it really gave you a good strength in all of the other styles of dancing? Or do you feel like it was a challenge because when you're going into ballroom, you're following and it's a little bit of a different element? Probably the the main like takeaway from ballet was just an overall like body awareness. And I feel like I prioritize quality over being able to do like a lot of different things. And that's, that is ballet. I mean, you spend almost an hour at the bar repeating and repeating, you know, the similar, if not the same figures for a week or two, and then the teacher will change a new combination the next week. But in terms of like the repetition, it really teaches you to focus on, working towards the end goal, not the immediate, you know, short-term goal. So I feel like when I came into ballroom, it was so overwhelmingly creative for me compared to what, you know, I'd been spending about 13 years of my life because I was dancing about 30 hours a week as a 
pre-professional, you know, kid dancers. Oh, so wow. yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. And right. And so, you know, and with the same sort of ideas every week and working towards this one goal, when I got into ballroom, just like the idea that you might be able to take like an hour lesson in cha-cha and then, you know, move on to waltz was like totally mind bending to me because it felt so different in my body. But I think, you know, going back to what ballet taught me, I feel like immediately I was able to, to look at it and say, okay, there's a really big end goal here. And while my training is going to give me an immediate ability to make it look good enough to pass, right? I feel like ballet put in my head, don't fake it, really try to learn it, really try to understand it. Because, you know, any child dancer or even child athlete has an upper hand on most people um, because, you know, they have coordination, they have physical awareness, which is I think when we work with most of our adult students, they're always <laughs> frustrated. Like I yeah. hear it in my brain. I can't make my body do it. Whereas a child dancer, they're like sponges. They just absorb yeah, things, you know, exactly. And they already have so much experience and exposure to their own body. Most kids have been injured and they've had to rehabilitate something, you know, or they've just, just that general awareness that when you're working your body several hours a day, every day, since you're little, you just become very in tune with what it, what you need to do to get the task done. And so I feel like that is what I'm the most grateful for, um, coming from ballet into ballroom. You know, when I was at some of these dance programs and summer workshops, we had a lot of exposure to different types of like jazz and choreography classes. We did Afro-Haitian. And so I feel like the idea of learning new stuff has always been very exciting to me in regards to dancing. And so ballroom just felt like a really good fit for me creatively. And then technically American smooth is just exactly where my body wants to be. And that's so cool that at a young age, you were getting exposed to so many different styles because I feel like, you know, we do, we do get that tunnel vision a little bit in whatever practice that we're sort of trying to perfect. So it's nice that you kind of had that exposure to different dance styles. I don't know if I was grateful for it at the time. I mean, I think that's the truth, especially when you're in a a classical style. It's funny because when I reflect back, some of the most like dynamic classes I took as a kid as being some of the most profound classes. I think I probably left saying like, that was fun, but not necessarily (laughs) like absorbing it the way I could now as really being able to reflect on what these teachers were trying to give us. But you know, it's, it's just funny to look back at your career and think about how much exposure I've had to different styles, different people, different mindsets regarding dance. I do think it's why like people have said about Eric and I in our ballroom career, and thank you again for the super sweet comments and compliments. But <laughs> of course, yeah, people you guys are really dancers. thank you. People either really like our style or they don't like our style at all. We don't have a lot of people that sit like in a gray area because we're very theatrical, very performance and storytelling based. I know that for me, that comes from just like a deep, grounded history in working with so many teachers that pushed like really profound ideas into my brain as a kid about movement isn't just for the sake of movement. It's about connection to yourself, to others. You know, it's funny. I I actually find that to be much more flattering when people either love or hate what you're doing. When you have that gray area, I feel like maybe you're doing something wrong, if that makes sense, because you want to evoke some sort of a reaction from people. If, If it's not quite their cup of tea, then whatever. But you really, I think as an artist, as a dancer, you really do want to have some sort of a strong emotion that you're getting from people. Right. My mindset has never been, I'm not here to prove that I am likable or unlikable by doing something outrageous. Um, I do know like in our ballroom community, we feel a pressure to be different. And so the envelope gets pushed because we want to be different instead of the envelope gets pushed or the boundaries get pushed because you are different. And I do think that that is a true line for me. I don't want to go out there and try to be different than everyone else. I just am different. Yeah. I think that's a good clarification. Otherwise to me, you sort of become a, I don't want to use the word sellout, but it's like you, you buy into the same idea that this is about, you know, doing something so outlandish just to make a point. When I think if you are authentic and you are using your own original ideas and forming ideas based on the great information you've collected over the course of your career, you will inherently be different. And I like that. I feel like you can always spot those couples versus ones just trying to say, look, look, we're different. We're different. Isn't that great? Mark us. Um, And that's, I'm just not into that personally. Yeah. And I think people really do have a good 
gauge for whether things are genuine or not. I think even mm-hmm. people that don't have a lot of dance experience, they can tell when something is coming from quality and like you said, authenticity. And I feel like that's like a really, a really big indicator when, you know, if you're just doing it for shock value or to get attention, it, it may right. work for a, a short period of short time. Term. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not going to last. And, and it's, it's really for people themselves as dancers, they're not going to be able to maintain that for a long time. Because like you said, it's so easy in dance to get, I mean, to use your word again, strangled or burned out. And and you have to do something that's going to have some sort of longevity to it. And the only way yeah. you can do that is being authentic to who you are as an artist. And hopefully that will make you stand out in and of itself. Because I mean, that's why dance is so beautiful. It's so subjective. No two people dance exactly the same. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you were introduced to ballroom, did it sort of become like a love triangle where you were like, oh, do I do ballroom or do I do ballet? Or, or were you able to sort of balance that all together perfectly? How did you get into a profession in ballroom? Well, when I found ballroom, um, it was actually because I had quit ballet and I went into, I sort of jokingly say this, but I went into like a mini depression after I quit. Um, I came back from Joffrey. I danced for like another three months and then I came home one day and I just said to my mom, I'm done. I'm done. She was like, okay. Huge decision. Yeah. I was just like, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. And my parents are extremely supportive. Both my sister and I were in the arts from, you know, childhood into, our 20s, my sister was on a Broadway tour of Mamma Mia and similarly came off of that tour and said, I'm done. I'm going back to school. I'm getting my PhD. And I feel like my parents are just very understanding that when you're an artist, you have to have your own exit strategy and parachute. You need to save yourself because it can't be up to other people saying, yeah, but you were so good or yeah, but you could <laughs> right. go so much farther. So I'm very grateful for my parents instilling that in us because when I quit ballet, um, I didn't feel the pressure from them to stay longer than I should have. And I'm, I think I left at the right time. My whole life at that point had been training towards this end goal of being a professional ballet dancer. And it was really, really hard. I didn't really know what to do. I played um, volleyball, like varsity volleyball, and I had a great time, but it didn't really fill me the way that dance had. And I remember having a really specific conversation with my mom. She called me into her office and she was like, you got to dance, kid. Like, that's your thing. Um, and I was just so resistant. I was like, I don't want to go. I don't want to do jazz. I don't want to do tap. I don't want to do these things. I've already done them. I just don't want to, you know, and I was also modeling and I was really professionally and I was really into fashion and makeup and all those things. And I remember she was like, just hear me out, but I've been doing some research and, you know, I've, I've been looking up this thing called competitive ballroom dancing. Oh my God. Literally tying in all of your passions right. into one thing. And that's thing. what she said. She was like, it's dancing. It's like, glamour. You've got to see the pictures. I just like threw myself backwards. I was like, never like that's <laughs> disgusting. That's for old people at weddings. <laughs> like I will never do that. How could you, you know, like yeah. total, like, you know, teenage meltdown. And she was like, okay, but just hear me out. Like, let's just try one class. And if you hate it, like you'll never go back. And if you like it, like, cool, you'll have something to do on a Wednesday night after school or something, right, you know? Right, and right, I, right. And so, you know, I was like, all right, all right, I'll try it. I really was hooked right away. I was taking group classes and and private lessons. And it really just, honestly, it kind of started to snowball for me. I had a lesson with uh, Ron Montez. He was like a visiting coach. And, oh, fun, fun, fun. Yeah, I know. And he said um, to me, he was like, you know, I really think you should dance pro-am, but I think you should dance it at like the higher level because if you want to dance professionally, like this would sort of be like a good jumping off point. And I was like, dance professionally. Like, Whoa, I didn't even really think that was an option. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So honestly it was, it felt at the time, like it was moving very quickly. Um, and it, and it really was, I started going to San Francisco once a week and taking lessons. And then my mom would drive me back and I would do homework in the car. And it just really went crazy. I went from dancing bronze to open gold in like, you know, a year and a half. And then a few years later, I got the push that, you know, it was time to start dancing pro. And I think it all kind of happened because I needed to get very, very burnt out of one thing to be able to be very excited about another thing. I think for me, like to use your phrase, like the love triangle of like myself, ballroom and ballet, I could, I don't think for my personality that would have worked. I needed to really close the door on one and allow myself to just totally submerge into this new 
form of dance, this new mindset. And at the time, like I, now when I watch videos, I'm like, oh my God, like it was like the most ballet-ish ballroom ever. <laughs> and I still have an element of that. Just playing to your That's, strengths. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I still have an element of that. It is who I am. It is the way I, you know, I move and what my body likes, but it's just very fun to see, you know, how it all evolved. That's incredible. And I feel like I've never obviously met your mom, but I feel like I love your mom already. Just hearing yeah. that about her, that she wasn't like trying to push you necessarily back back into ballet, but she was like, you know what? You're a dancer. This is what you're passionate about. We just need to find another path for it in a way that you can express yourself in even more avenues than you could have in ballet. Cause I mean, you know, you, you put it so perfectly, the misconception, especially for people that aren't in this ballroom bubble, once you're in the ballroom bubble, you feel like everyone knows about things, but when you're outside of the ballroom bubble, you think of it, you've got like two extremes. You've got people who either think of dancing with the stars or they think of, like you said, old people at weddings. And there's just like this whole spectrum in between of Mm -hmm. like amazing things. Right. And there's a whole world and community of people that, you know, are social dancers only or competitive dancers only, or, you know, there's this kind of, you know, unicorn dancer that does a little bit of both, you yes, know? And, yes. and so it's, I honestly feel like that first year and a half that I started ballroom dancing was probably dance wise, the happiest I'd ever been. It was interactive. It was free. You know, I was able to use skills that I had built through ballet and be very challenged, you know, to build, different skills and what felt like a completely foreign style of dance. And it was really wonderful. And I'm so grateful to my mom for, you know, (laughs) sticking it in there. But I think that's the thing. It's kind of a lesson in working with anyone we love is like, yeah, like let them find their own journey out of the thing they don't want to do anymore. But if that's still an essence of who they are, like maybe you can help them find a different route to channel that in, you know? Yeah. And she opened the door for you. You know, if you had tried ballroom and hated it, it, you just, you wouldn't have done it, but it was just like, Hey, here's this opportunity. Just try. Yeah. (laughs) My dad always says, how do you know you like it if you don't try? And that's, you know, kind of the mindset my dad used to say about food all the time, all the time. I mean, he'd go, well, how do you know you like chocolate ice cream? And we'd go, we just like it. And he'd go, well, you didn't know until you tried. And, you know, there it was. (laughs) (laughs) That's very pragmatic advice. Yeah. No argument there. It was like, darn it. You're right. Yeah, that's (laughs) a conversation stopper. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So you mentioned that eventually after you'd been dancing pro-am that you did go into a professional career. Mm -hmm. Was Eric, your husband, was he your first and only professional partner or had you danced with other people before him? So we danced together right away um, in pro-am and I had uh, an amateur partner as well. And then I had like my little partners, you know, on the dance team. And then we started to travel to the Bay Area. And that was basically the same time we started getting the advice. Hey, we think you should stay in the open gold level, but really start training as a professional couple. And so at that point, I was like 18 or 19 when that kind of conversation started to happen. And so it was exciting because, you know, I had more dance experience than he did, but he had more experience in ballroom. Oh, interesting. Um, Yeah, because, you know, I'm a child dancer and he's not at all. So that was kind of a fun time for us because we really decided, okay, we want to focus together as on American Smooth. And so I was taking like rhythm and Latin lessons just because it was still, it was something at the time I really enjoyed and and wasn't sure that I didn't want to compete in it. That kind of dwindled off after we started doing the bigger competitions in the pro-am world. And I just felt myself feeling more connected in terms of like passion and focus to American Smooth. And so, yeah, but I did, I did take some lessons with some other great uh, male teachers in the Bay Area specifically. Well, one of the things that I want to ask you about, because I feel like everyone has very interesting opinions about this, because in, in ballroom dancing, you're either not dating your partner or you are, and you're married to them Mm -hmm. or whatever. Do you personally, do you think it's easier to partner with your romantic partner or do you think it makes it more challenging? To me, that question is such a like widely asked question in our world, but I feel like what we don't really bring up is like, that's challenging in any job. I mean, whether you open a restaurant together or you know, you open a daycare or whatever, any like, kind of business, right. Any kind of business, because you are going through your highest highs and your lowest lows together. And so I think in ballroom, it, it, it kind of garners this like, Ooh, scandalous because dancing is romantic and, and can even lean into sexual. Right. And so there's like this, like, Oh my gosh, you know, everyone's with their husband or wife. But if you really think about it, I mean, if you do anything in life, 
six hours a day with someone, you don't have time to meet other people. Like I said, you're, you're going through the most extreme personal goals of your life with that other person. And depending on, you know, how you and that significant other deal with those highs and lows, it's going to either create a loving bond or it's going to create, you know, a loving, intimate, romantic bond. To me, I I feel like it really comes down to how are you in anything going to go through life with another person. And it's totally subjective too, because I think for some people, it really, really works that they dance with their romantic partner. And I think for some people, it's maybe even more of a struggle. And it's it's completely dependent on your personality. I was just talking with my friend Tom on the last podcast episode that I have this theory <laughs> that there's like three things that really go into a great dance partnership. One would be chemistry, two would be work ethic, and then three would be communication. And like, for example, for... Lewis and I, we always had a really great chemistry when we, when we were dancing together. And that was one of the things that made it really fun and probably why we ended up becoming romantically involved. But in terms of work ethic and communication, we speak completely different languages. So a lot of times people would say, oh, well, you're so lucky you dance with your boyfriend at the time or husband. And I used to think like, oh my God, this is like, it's actually the hardest dance partnership just because we speak a different language. But at the same time, there's so many things that I appreciate about it, but you just have those challenges. Like you said, it just totally depends on how you go through life together. The way I look at it too is we don't really know when we enter into a relationship with anyone, whether it's friendship, business, or um, romantic, kind of what trauma they may be storing. And so I think what's really challenging about the competitive ballroom world is that, you know, you are competing for something and that pulls on people's strings a little bit differently. So having a trust and a bond with someone and friendship, I think really genuinely liking the person you're dancing with to me is more important than being romantically involved. I mean, at the end of the day, as professional dancers, we're professional actors. If you can't act, you know, with your partner that you are romantically involved with them, you're probably, in my opinion, not that great of a dancer, like in terms yeah, of the storytelling. I 100% agree with that. That's, I think that's, I think you just put it so perfectly because even if you are romantically involved with your partner, when you go out onto the floor, you're not necessarily thinking about that. You're thinking about right. a thousand different other things, or you might've just had like a little spat with them right before right. you got onto the floor too. Right. So I think it's really about like, you need to genuinely like and respect the person that you're dancing with. And that is true, whether they're your friend and your business partner or, you know, your lover, it shouldn't matter. And I feel like excuses are made when people are in intimate relationships with each other. Yeah. So the respect goes down, the respect and the friendship goes down. Yeah. You lose that level of politeness when you get comfortable with someone. I totally understand that. Yeah. Right. So I think that that's really the journey for anyone who's in a romantic relationship with a person that they're doing business with is, you know, don't forget that there's an end goal that you both should be agreeing on and that you have respect for one another. And I think, I truly, truly believe this, that resentment is the killer of all relationships. I think it's worse than infidelity. I think if you resent your partner, you probably aren't going to come back from that. Wow, that's really powerful. I've never thought of it that way before, but that really, that is really interesting. I think resentment is what kills romantic relationships because when you meet a lot of people that have been in a relationship for a very long time, their history is full of ups and downs. And if you look at any couple that has really made it and they've lasted a long time and, you know, they've stayed in love and they've stayed as friends the whole, you know, the whole way through, even if that means at times they didn't like each other resentment didn't really creep in or they, you know, you fight to keep that out. And I think that's one thing Eric and I worked really hard as dancers was we didn't place blame because as soon as you place blame on the partner, that resentment lives for either person. You know, we didn't win because of you. And you're holding that person back or whatever. I just don't think you can survive as a love relationship. You might be able to survive as a business relationship Mm -hmm. because you don't have to go home with that person and you can set the boundaries of how much, you know, intimate connection you want in your personal life with that person. But as a love relationship, if you allow resentment to sneak in, I think you're done. Wow, uh, that's incredible insight into that dynamic, whether you are romantically involved with your partner or not. I think that respect and not resenting them, that's huge. 
One of the things that I was really, really interested to talk to you about, one of the things that I'm, I'm so impressed with and I just find fascinating about your career is your involvement in the LGBTQ community and same-sex dance competitions. I know you have a big event coming up. I think it's in April. Yeah. We're actually kind of on the brink of some really exciting changes in the ballroom world where a lot of the organizations have announced that same-sex couples can now compete yes. in regularly sanctioned competitions, which if anyone listening isn't familiar with the ballroom world, this is really, really huge news. And it's going to just open the door for so many more people to be exposed to ballroom dancing in a really safe and comfortable environment. So how did you get started in that community specifically before this was even a sanctioned thing? Well, I think initially it was location, you know, dancing in San Francisco, we have some of the world's top same-sex dancers that live there, teach there, you know, coach there. They are my friends, my, you know, fellow teachers. They're just people I love and adore. And so exposure to same-sex dancing was pretty much immediate and just powerful for me visually to see. Um, And quite honestly, in the ballet world, there's so much same-sex dancing where it's all women, you know, is a trio of women or, you know, a duet of men. So to me, visually, it didn't really like strike anything in my mind. And the way that I was raised as an ally for the LGBTQ community, it also doesn't ring a bell in my mind as being odd or peculiar. So it's just beautiful people dancing. It was just natural for you. Right. It was a very natural flow for me in terms of accepting and understanding and really applauding and supporting. But I think in terms of being involved, it initially started with, um, they're no longer dancing together. Two dancers by the name of Satabri Ozuna and Emily Coles were two um, female standard dancers who I had the privilege of setting a couple pieces of really fun, um, more like comedy pieces of choreography for different shows that I was in or they were in or, and we just had so much fun. And just as three women working together, um, it was just so fabulous um, to work you know, on the dynamics of body weight between two people that weigh a little bit, you know, more the same um, and muscle development wise. And how could we work out lifts or tricks or just overall, like, you know, what was the story? But I think in terms of same sex dancing, there's just something so rich and stunning about the stories that the LGBTQ community has to share. And I think it's really our responsibility to be quiet and just you know, listen to what they want to show us and tell us. And if there's, you know, an opportunity for me to direct a show and provide an opportunity for those stories to be told, I am there. So in terms of being connected with April Follies, which is the competition, is the largest same-sex competition in North America, and it's held in, um, like, the Alameda, Oakland area. So anyone in California, come see it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because Chelsea's doing the show, and it's going to be yeah, amazing. Yeah, I'm directing the show, and you'll get to see just some incredible dancing. I got asked to do their show in 2018, but for probably, like, the last five or six years before that, I'd been offering to do makeup and hair at the competition and just be available. So many of my friends were dancing, and, you know, it was just a way to stay connected and support. But in 2018, I was doing a lot of direction and a lot of choreography for smaller dance projects and things like that. And so it was a really wonderful, natural fit. And I was actually the first female director to direct a show for April Follies. Um, And so that was just like a huge honor for me. Yeah, it was a huge honor. And we did a show um, that was based on the circus. And it was so moving to see, you know, what we were all able to create and just the depth of storytelling that comes from you know, all, all walks of life. But I think in the ballroom community, we have such a heteronormative storyline, you know, boy yeah, meets girl. very gendered. Yeah. Girl yeah. chases boy, girl is sexy, boy is in shock and awe, you know, boy throws off his fedora, you know, <laughs> girl lays on chair. Like we've just yeah. done it so much. It's so done. It's so done. And it's funny because it's like, even if you are heterosexual, it's still done and old, you know, yeah. there's so many different dynamics to relationships. Yeah. So many of us, you included, have, have always been open to this idea, but now that it's become an officially sanctioned thing, I just feel like it opens us up to, like you said, so many more interesting and rich stories. And even just the logistics of not having to wait for everyone to be paired up masculine and feminine because you limit yourself so much in that. Right. And we also have to continue to push the question of like, why are we so preoccupied with masculine and feminine? Like, it's such a crutch to judge people on their dancing based on if they're feminine enough or masculine enough, because it completely strips away their technical and performance capabilities. If, 
if someone and personality. is personality and their personality, right. I mean, like, because that's your definition of femininity and your definition of masculinity, that means that person isn't the best dancer on the floor. So I think it's very exciting that we're going to change that narrative of may the best dancer win period. Yeah. And I, I think that there are still a lot of people in our community that are very resistant. I mean, I would definitely say don't, don't read the comment section still yeah. in a lot of these videos. It's, it's, it's disturbing, but I think the way I look at it is it's only going to highlight when this success of these beautiful same sex dancers, when they get their championships, when they make it into the final, because they will, you know, it's, it's going to be important to know which side of, you know, this ballroom dance history you stood on. And I definitely want to stand on the side of support. Yeah. Same. I'm with you. Yeah. I just, I want to be of service. You know, I want to help move people forward. I want to help move the community forward. I, I consider myself a dancer. So I want to push people forward that want to dance. That's really how I've been connected. I have many friends in the community. On uh, This week, I'll be going back to the Bay Area to set some choreography on two women. They're absolutely beautiful. They dance American Smooth. Um, they'll be dancing in the show. And I'm just so excited to, to, to see what they've come up with. That's so exciting, though. I, yeah. love, I love your involvement in that. And like you said, Thank standing you. on the side of this in ballroom history, I think is really exciting. I think there's some really incredible changes that are going to be going forward. But I love the idea that you were like a champion of it before this was even happening and that this is going to be like a whole new frontier for ballroom dancing. I think that's yeah. incredible. And like I said, I mean, I think the only thing that we as you know, heterosexual dancers can do is say, what can we do to help you? What is it that you need that you don't feel you've received yet in terms of fairness or opportunity? And when those things, when all of those opportunities are made, are made fair and available, I think it's really going to come down to may the best couple win and it's going to be thrilling. And I hope I'm there to see it. It's going to be unpredictable. It's going to be exciting. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. (laughs) So one of the last things I wanted to ask you about is you've branched into a little bit of a new career or relatively Mm -hmm. new, I guess I Mm -hmm. should say, with the Dancer's Pantry. So if you could kind of just tell me a little bit about what the Dancer's Pantry is and what kind of training was involved to get you ready for this new step in your career. Sure. So the Dancer's Pantry is a vegetarian food blog that I run. The whole journey started for me back when Eric and I were still competing. We were traveling a lot. I mean, we were on the road three or, you know, two or three times a month. And I started to notice I was having a lot of digestive issues and things like that. And it felt very food related. And at the time there was just a lot of talk about like veganism and vegetarianism and, you know, just a lot more research was coming out about health and overall wellness and being able to perform at your peak Um, and what you were putting in your body as fuel and all those things. So it just kind of started rolling around in my head. And my mom is a vegetarian. Um, She's been a vegetarian for over 30 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so just those kind of thoughts were circulating in my head. and And you didn't grow up vegetarian? Did you, was it just your mom in like your household that was? Right. Actually. Yeah, exactly. So my sister, so just give a little backstory. My sister, uh, like lost her hearing temporarily as a little kid. She was like 85% deaf in both ears, um, due to like, like a lot of fluid and the tubes being tipped and things like that. So, um, my mom got, my mom and my dad were pretty fed up with like Western medicine. So my mom found like way up in the mountains, a holistic and Ayurvedic doctor. Very cool. And, um, yeah. And that was the first time, um, we'd really done any dietary changes. So this doctor recommended that my sister be taken off of dairy, wheat, and all meat. Um, because some of the things that were in our diet were really causing a lot of fluid and buildup and things like that. So that was when my mom actually took us off all of that. Um, and then she never went back to eating meat again. Um, and at the time, yeah. And at the time it definitely was still, we were still in that mindset of like, Oh, you're going to die. If you don't eat enough protein, you're just going to drop dead. If you don't have (laughs) enough protein, wake up and you're drop dead. Well, that's one of the biggest stigmas against the vegan or the vegetarian diet, right? Is that you're not going to get enough protein. Correct. There was just like this. And that was like all we knew. It was just like protein is what we need and we need so much of it. We're not going to just drop dead. And so like, you know, I don't know if my mom made a conscious decision not to do that with us, but it was just kind of like, it wasn't what people were doing. It was probably too much to manage. My dad isn't a vegetarian and, you know, he culturally, we have like a pretty strong Jewish New York, like influence on our life because my dad. So it's just like, 
meat was pretty heavy. So it just kind of was one of those things where it was like, we just didn't do it. And it never really popped into our heads to do it, I guess, which sounds silly now that I've been a vegetarian for like four years. But, (laughs) you know, certain things are right for you at certain times of your life. That's what I believe. Yeah. Timing is key. Yeah. Timing is key and being open to it is key. Um, So long story short, going back to the dancing, I started to change my mindset around like, okay, well, maybe I won't eat meat when we're traveling or, you know, and then that switched to like, well, maybe I won't eat it if I don't know where it's from. And then that got really hard because it's very hard to find out where your meat is coming from. Right. And so it just really turned into like, I just can't do this. And, you know, I, I made that probably the best decision I could have ever done, but it was also one of the hardest things I've ever done, which was to really do some research into the slaughterhouses and, you know, don't open that if you're not ready for it. (laughs) And, uh, you know, but I was ready for it and I am deeply connected to the suffering of others. All things on this planet deserve a fair chance. And that's really how it started for me. I just Woke up one day and I said, Derek, I'm sorry, honey, I'm just not, I'm not going to eat meat anymore. And he's actually the son of a butcher. Oh, so, wow. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So he was like, um, okay. It was initially a switch more to like a pescatarian lifestyle where I would eat a little bit of fish and, and still some dairy. And really, I would say I'm 95% vegetarian. If like a family member or something like that is serving fish, I'll probably, you know, have that. But okay. um in my day-to-day, it's all vegetarian. I'm not a vegan, but as you'll talk to with most vegetarians, vegetarians eat vegan all the time. We just don't think of it that way because if we don't eat cheese or eggs in our day, we're eating vegan. Right. So <laughs> so um, it's like sometimes I'm right. vegan, sometimes I'm vegan. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. It's just, a lot of times it's not really a choice. So, you know, it just kind of, in the sense of like, it's not a conscious choice. It's just the way it happens. So right. That's a really long way of saying, I really just found my way here. And once I found my way here, I've always loved to cook. I was pretty frustrated and feeling like, I don't think I know how to feed myself if I don't have meat in my diet. Like, Interesting, what do I Because that's do? one of the first things that I always think is fascinating about the vegetarian diet is like, how do you incorporate variety? How does it feel right. like you're not just eating like <laughs> Brussels sprouts Lettuce, day after right. day? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I knew that I had made the right decision and there was no way I was going back. But in terms of like feeling all of a sudden I got really insecure, like, well, I don't know what to do. And I'm going to, you know, maybe I'm going to get bored or, you know, I don't even think I know what to do when I go to the grocery store. And so I started just doing honestly, some initial searches on Pinterest, like vegetarian dinner and really cool things were popping up. And I like different products and different ways to cook vegetables and season them and words that I was like, I don't know what that is. I've never even heard of that. Right. I just started chatting with my family about like, do you guys think I should go to culinary school? I really want to, I love to cook, but I don't really want to go to like the Cordon Bleu because I'm not interested in like butchering. And I feel like that'll be a weird Well, that's funny. I wouldn't like. have even thought about that. If you go to culinary school, that's like, you have to do the whole of course. course. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, and most of them are like French techniques, so there's like a big influence on me. And, you know, I just thought, gosh, I feel like really bummed. I'd love to learn more, but I don't want to just do self-study on Pinterest or things like that. I'd really like to learn because I love to cook. Right. And so we found online, we found this amazing, um, it's a worldwide school. It's called Ruby Culinary School. And it's an online school. I think it's two times a year. It could be two or three times a year. You join almost like a cohort um, from around the world. And it's a six month professional certification course. And it is really great. And it is really tough. And, you know, you start with some of the basics, like just understanding your kitchen, how to change your pantry, uh, with a plant-based diet, you know, what are staples that you need to have, you know, in your house, how to understand, uh, navigating a grocery store a little bit differently now that you're having to think with a different mindset all the way to like making your own eggless pasta noodles and working with, you know, specific knife cuts and really getting into the technique of cooking. And I just found it was really the right thing for me to do. And it really woke up an even deeper passion for food and sharing food with others than I thought I had. And so I started the blog. I want to say I started the blog in November and it's been going really well. I have like almost a thousand followers on Instagram. That's exciting. Follow me. <laughs> so it's at the dancers pantry. What's, right, what's your, what's your it. tag? Yeah. My handle on Instagram is the dancers underscore pantry. Okay. Very cool. So if anyone yeah. wants to see really cool photos of food yeah. and get some vegetarian recipes, that's where you need to go. Do it. And if you want to follow the actual blog, you'll go to www.thedancerspantry.com. You can see all my recipes there and 
honestly, the thing I'm most passionate about is with the recipes is trying to develop food that's really flavorful, nutritious, but also fun. Like food that makes people go like, Ooh, that sounds really fun. I want to, I want to have that. Not just your standard, like salad or, you know, tofu scramble and no disrespect (laughs) to those things. But like we, there are already so many incredible chefs and food bloggers who are doing that so well. So the mindset that I'm trying to take with it is like, let's have some fun with this. Let's like, let's look at food as yes, it's nutritious. Yes, it's good for us. And yes, we're completely, you know, lowering our carbon footprint on the planet, but let's try to enjoy food a little bit more, you know, and get like a fresh perspective on it with plenty of protein, obviously. Right, exactly. (laughs) And spend more time in our kitchen, you know, enjoying it and, and celebrating and, you know, being a little bit more connected to what we're putting into our body. And not that we can do that every day. Sometimes you just got to heat up a frozen dinner and go to bed. But other times, you know, when you're meal planning for your week, you can really be more thoughtful about what you're doing. And I think food gives us the opportunity to reflect on who we are, how we're connected to the, to the earth, how we're connected to each other, our families. It conjures up deep feelings for most of us. So oh my God, yeah. that's such a beautiful <laughs> thought. I love that. I feel like I just, I need that like needle stitch done, like put it on my refrigerator or something. Do it. <laughs> like that's gorgeous. Thank you. There's just one more thing I kind of want to ask uh-huh. you about. You mentioned that you've kind of narrowed down your teaching schedule to two days a uh-huh. week. You've got the dancer's yes. pantry of some other interests. One of the things that I'm always curious to know about, especially with ballroom dancers, because like I said, there is sort of this bubble that you have the potential to live in when you're a ballroom dancer, especially, I don't know if you had a similar experience, but when my husband and I were, you know, like you said, we were doing two competitions a month, we were traveling, we're spending a lot of time and a lot of money kind of obsessing about our dance career. Not, not that, not to say that I regret my competitive career. In fact, I feel like it made me a much better dancer. And there were so many amazing experiences that I had coming out of it. But on the other side of it, I feel like possibly I'm a little bit more of a well-rounded and balanced person. So that's one of the things I specifically wanted to ask you about with getting your um, certification in culinary arts, specifically for vegetarianism. Do you feel like that helps you sort of with that ballroom real life balance? Do you think that that's important not to get too trapped inside of that bubble? I honestly really do. I think that every career is very unique and the people within that career are unique. The challenge of the ballroom community is that because it's a competitive world with status, people forget themselves and the way they interact with one another, if that storyline feels positive, it's hard to leave. And so I think we've all interacted with people where, you know, we all have a little bit of a chuckle when they leave because we think, do you not know that we know that you do laundry or go to the grocery store? Like we, we don't, we don't think that you're not a person, but they have, they have lost touch with what it really means to just exist and get up and, you know, do the life thing. Yeah. So much of it is image-based. So much of it is image-based. And I don't blame people for getting lost in that. Um, Like you said, it is a bubble. It is hard to, you know, if you're being adored on the daily, if, you know, you're being told, you know, you're the best, you're the best. It's hard not to turn that into something more than what it is, which is a compliment on, you know, a skill that you possess, but it's one skill. You're a dancer. That's the skill that people are talking about. Are you a good person? Are you kind? Are you thoughtful? You know, are you well read? Do you listen to music? You know, is there anything else interesting about you or are you just a good dancer? Because, you know, like beauty, the ability to dance really well will fade. Right. And so, you know, I think it's important that you exist in this world as an interesting person with something to say and, and that you live, you live more thoughtfully. And so I think doing things like culinary school, you know, Eric is a certified specialist of wine. He studies very hard. That's in his so wine. cool. Yeah. I feel like that's one of the, like alongside with culinary arts, that's one of the hardest certifications that it's you can so get. so hard. It is so challenging. And he, you know, is just, he's certified in several high levels and, you know, he's always reading, he's always watching, you know, documentaries, you know, he's the guy that when you go wine tasting actually spits out the wine. Not me. I'm he's like, like okay, I'll drink yours. <laughs> yeah, he's like really doing it. I'm like, okay, I'll just drink it. It's fine. <laughs> but I think the point is, is like, it's really nice to meet people in any career that are passionate about what they do, dedicated to what they do, but are also able to step away and say, I love my career. 
it's fulfilling to me as well as I am interested in these other things. And even if those other things are not hobbies, even if those other things are, I'm interested in being a nice person, I'm interested in, you know, caring for others. I think that's so important. If it just becomes so centered on, you know, I'm amazing. I have to be the best. I want everyone to know that I'm the best. That's what's important in life. You know, Mm -hmm. I think you're going to need to live a very lonely life when it (laughs) really comes down to it. And I do think it's important as a dancer, maybe different than other careers, but, but maybe it's the same for all. I'm not sure. I think as a dancer specifically or someone within the arts, it's really important to have people in your life that are not dancers. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we deal with this, this concept of ego, whether it's conscious or subconscious in dance a lot, we're, we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people, which again, in any kind of art form is just so ridiculous because we're all so different, but having those outside friends and outside influences to sort of keep you grounded and make you a well-balanced person is, is just, I mean, obviously it's going to enrich your life, but it's just going to make you just more well-balanced, which I think is what, I mean, we're all just trying to do that. We're all just trying to be humans and connect with other people, but I think so. Yeah. And I think it's really important for you to have people in your life that only want to hear about dancing for about five minutes. Yes. Yes. You know, it is not (laughs) their favorite. It is not their favorite topic. They don't really, it's not that they don't care. It's just like, let's get on with it. Let's talk about the rest of our life, our friendship, our connection, our history. You know, I think if you're only surrounding yourself with people that want to talk dance from the start of the conversation to the end of the conversation, I think that that's fine, but they're not probably going to enrich your life in a different way. And so I think it's important to have those friends, but it's also important to have one or two people that say, Oh, that's cool. You're in a show. Wow. Tell me about it. Great. So do you want to hear about this concert that I went to that, you know, you really can match you on a person to person level and that you don't remain on this status of, but I'm a dancer. Right. You know, I think, I think that that's important. It's a job. It's a phenomenal job. It's a passion. It's, you know, dedication for many of us our whole life. And that's, that's fantastic, but go be interesting in other elements of your life, you know? Oh my God. I love that so much. Okay. Well, Chelsea, it's been an incredible honor talking to you. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of your dancing. I'm very excited to talk to you more about this possibly in the future and follow your blog and get some really great ideas. I just want to thank you again so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today. It was wonderful. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. I was not as nervous as I thought I was going to be. I'm sure there will be a little bit of rambling. So everyone (laughs) forgive me. This is my first time. That's what a podcast is for. Just listening to people ramble. That's perfect. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I had a great time and and I, I really look forward to potentially doing it again with you. And I wish you all the best of luck in this. Thank you so much. So don't forget to follow Chelsea at www.thedancerspantry.com and find her on Instagram as well at the dancers underscore pantry. And also don't forget to subscribe if you're not already subscribed and give us a rating and keep in touch for further episodes. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>